Hello and welcome to the Build with Clay podcast. I am your host, Clay Davis. This podcast is designed to introduce you to people from across the world who have one thing in common. They want to grow in their life and inspire others. You'll get a front row seat to hear about how they define their mindset and their purpose. We'll unearth their habits, their failures, and learnings throughout their journey. And this will allow you to take those habits, those failures, and those learnings and apply them to your personal growth journey, no matter where you're trying to build yourself and grow. This podcast is designed for you, so thank you for being here. Prepare to meet interesting people, hear fun stories, learn something new, and plan to leave inspired. Super excited to have Allie White on the podcast. Today we are going to be building with Allie White. Allie is a caring, competitive, she's an athlete, she always rolls with it, but she's funny and thoughtful and kind, and when you are around Allie, there's always joy and there's always laughter. Allie White, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Captain, it's real great for you to have me on. Good morning. Um, Yeah, just thanks for having me. I'm pumped to have you. Good morning to you. So, Allie, I'd love for you to introduce yourself. Yeah. You know, the reason I eventually met Clay was I was a Tar Heel golfer, and I met him, you know, through Tar Heels. Um, and then, you know, after I lived in Carolina for a few years, I moved back to Ohio. I uh, was a little bit of an assistant golf coach. I have a lot of golf in my past, but um, I also have an awesome family and a great dog named Finley uh, after the Carolina golf course. And, you know, I got a lot of, you know, nuanced hobbies so <laughs> you're, you're just a nuanced together. you're a nuanced woman Allie and, so uh, yeah there's more to me than just golf but uh most people know that about me if you're gonna start somewhere I suppose <laughs> that's right that's right I, I want to enforce that you're a professional athlete I mean you've been you've been a professional athlete basically since you got out of school and uh there's a lot of stories a lot of fun things a lot of trials and tribulations I'm sure that we can get into but I mean, you make your living as a professional athlete. Yeah, super, super lucky to have gotten to spend my 20s. Dude, I mean, I'm 31 now, but um, just to just to spend those years of my life just roaming the earth. What? Because <laughs> I don't know if I would have been too good at anything else. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been great. <laughs> Oh, you got plenty of talents. Don't downplay yourself, but we're, we're going to get into some fun stuff today. And um, so before we do that, I want to get, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people that know who you are, but there's many others that don't know who you are. And so we're going to do a little like get to, get to know you section. I'm going to ask you a couple questions here. Just think out loud. We're going to, so we're going to, we're going to keep it rolling here. So, so Allie, if you were about to be a passenger on a road trip and you go on a lot of road trips, about a golf that you in tournaments that you drive to, as you said, you roam the earth. You're about to be a passenger on a road trip and you enter a convenience store and you're going to get one drink and one snack. What are you getting? Clay, I got to go cheese. It's original. Absolutely not the like fat three times <laughs> and I, uh, muscle milk, uh, just chocolate. Cause I, you know, I don't even know why they make vanilla. So that's, that's me. <laughs> Muscle milk, chocolate muscle milk, and Cheez-Its. Oh, it sounds like a good road trip. <laughs> I love it. So you are a guitar player, whether you like to admit it or not. And so I know you're into music. I know you're, again, you're always in the, 
in the in the mood to listen to music. So if you could only listen to one musical artist or band for the next 10 years, only one, who would you choose? Whoa, that is really tough. Um, gosh, I guess I'll just go with my favorite people because they're still making new music. So hopefully they'll keep changing and growing. Originally called Mandolin Orange, they changed their name to Watch House. But it's actually a Chapel Hill band, and I just have a big soft spot for stringed instruments. And they got, you know, fiddles and, you know, banjos. and just, I don't know if they throw the banjo in very often, but the mandolin is their main thing. So that's what All I'm right. saying. Great lyrics. Great lyrics, too. I mean, poetic. It's great. Interesting. Very cool. All right. So that's, that's the one you're going with. I love it. And wow, that's, uh, that's good. Hey, and maybe if they, maybe they'll throw the banjo in more if they know that you can only listen to them. So maybe they're going to throw some, <laughs> some variety in there. It's, it sounds yeah, like that you could maybe influence that. Like if it's 10 years, I hope they start doing electric too, you know, <laughs> have a lot of guest singers with them. Maybe Taylor Swift would have been a better choice because she's got all those guest singers with her all the time, you know? <laughs> Oh gosh. No, I can, I could totally see it. That's great. That's great. All right. Last one. And this is, I want you to think out loud here because I want to see where Allie okay. White's brain goes here. Okay. If you had, if you had a personal flag, what would be on it? Oh, a personal flag. Yeah. Like, like if I'm going to fly the flag of Allie White outside my house, what's going to be on that flag? Probably just, you know, work hard and give love. That's, I used to I used to have that written on quite a few things in my room, you know, trying to keep it simple. And there'd be a bunch of colors on the flag. Like, we're not doing this one thing. And then there's got to be some animals, too. I, yeah, maybe like a wolf and a lion. <laughs> Just because they're cool animals. <laughs> Is that your Alligator. spirit animals? Are those yeah. your spirit animals? Uh Shucks, I don't know. I do. I appreciate a wolf because they can be in a pack or they can be alone. And I feel like I, I feel like that, you know, like I can go into different packs and make it. And, and sometimes I'm just out there on the highway by myself, you know, just a lone wolf. Just a lone wolf looking for a meal. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's great. All right. So the flag, you got, you got your quote. Remind me of the quote again. Well, this is more just like a, maybe a mantra, just like work hard, give love, like kind of just two directives, two like simple directives. You know, if you can stay on this path, you know, good things hopefully will transpire. It makes so work, the likelihood higher. Work hard and give love. And then this big badass wolf. Hanging exactly. out on the flag, and then a bunch of colors. Yes, like tie dye, you know. Interesting. I, I didn't know where you were gonna go with that. I didn't know if you were gonna throw like your dog on there, or the Tar Heels, Ohio State. I mean, you got a lot of golf. You got a lot of things in your life. So, the wolf, and the mantra, and the colors. I love it. Yeah, me too. Awesome. I just made it up just now, so I, you know, I probably changed my mind in about twenty minutes. But I, I like what I came up with in this moment. I love it. I think it's great, and uh, I'm excited to fly the flag of Alley White outside my house once it gets <laughs> once it gets manufactured. You got a buyer of at least one right now. <laughs> good, good. I think I think well, it'd be I, a lot. I think it'd be a nice flag. 
I think it would be great. I think it'd be great. It would inspire inspire a lot of others. I really I really think so. Um, well, Ali, so I think you would probably actually have many more than just me that would buy that flag because you're so great at maintaining and building friendships. And so, I mean, you have so many fun and interesting people in your life and you, you're so good about caring deeply for others. Like it's just a very natural thing for you. And I've seen it day in and day out with our friendship. Where do you, where do you think that comes from? Oh gosh. Well, I mean, a, I just genuinely like a lot of people. I love a lot of people. Um, and I also have had times in my life where I've, I've been, you know, lonely or sad or whatever. And, you know, I don't, I don't like it when other people feel like that. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of empathetic connections with people. Cause I just, you know, my mom always used to tell me as a kid that, you know, most people are just trying to make it, you know? So I think that, yeah, that attitude, I've kind of felt that about all sorts of people. So I just like to see, you know, I like my friends to be doing all right. And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, it's, you know, having friends is good for me too. So it's like there's self-serving in that portion. And, and like, yeah, honestly, I feel like I don't, you know, it's, uh, I have, I have the, you know, good solid quantity of friends and I don't always feel like I get to, see everybody frequently enough um I mean it's it's just it's not really possible so I'm not like beating myself up about it but I would you know I've never had anybody ask me to dinner or ask me to go on a random trip and I didn't want to go you know um I think yeah I think this year maybe I've had to learn I just haven't had as much energy um I think I I spent like 30 weeks on the road golfing this year so I don't think I was able to put quite as much energy into my friends um but yeah, the seasons of life and hopefully, hopefully everybody knows that if they just need to talk for a little while, they can always call me. Well, I've already, I've always felt that way, Allie. And I love how your mom brought you up and your dad. I mean, they're, they're wonderful people. And I think you're obviously extremely close to your family as well. Every time we're around somehow, some way, you know, your mom or your dad or your sister, or your brother, they always come up in conversation. And so I know you have a lot of love for them. Absolutely. Yeah, I was, I was really lucky. I won the lottery with those four. You certainly did. And the, uh, you know, th- speaking of friends, I think you were, I think you were in the car with friends when this, uh, this happened, but I, I got to get you to tell the story about the bear spray. <laughs> this is, uh, this is one of everybody's, everybody's favorite stories. So I took this crazy road trip with a couple grad school friends um, from Seattle back to Ohio, like National Park, some some whitewater rafting, and ended up seeing the eclipse down in Nashville that year. Um, but we stopped in uh, uh, Yellowstone, and I we were gonna sleep out in the tent. And my one friend, she this uh, lady from Denmark, she did not want to sleep outside uh, without bear spray. She actually didn't end up sleeping outside at all. She slept in the car. But we had this tent, and she was like, you got to get bear spray because we're going to – we get hurt, you know, out here with these bears. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, fine. You know, I had had a couple glasses of wine. I'll, like, I'll run into the grocery store and get bear spray if you really think a bear's going to come. And so I go in there, and, you know, I buy some bear spray. And my buddy Jeff is driving because he's sober, and I've had a couple glasses of wine. And 
pulling out, and I'm thinking in my brain, I'm like, well, shucks, I got these city slickers in the car. They're not going to know how to fire this bear spray. We need to do it. Like, I got to test this out. I got to make sure I'm ready in case the bear comes. Um, so I roll down the window real quick and just give a little shoot as he's kind of peeling out. <laughs> Obviously, the wind just took the bear spray and brought it right back into my face. And my friend, you know, she was diagonal from me. And she's like, you are so stupid. And she's about to say stupid. And then the bear spray hit her in the face, too. And we were out. We were out for a good five minutes, eyes totally closed. Like, I, I was going through my head. I was like, I, I might never play golf again. I, I think I'm, I I'm going to be blind. Like, this is it, you know? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, be careful with bear spray. It is not a toy. <laughs> oh, I'm dying laughing over here. That is just <laughs> so good. That you is so see, good. You can just see that. I, I just, there is this thing in my brain every now and then where I just, I'm sure everybody's like this, but I have particular moments where it's just like, this is a good idea. And it's like really instant and sudden. And it was like, whoa, what were you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> did you really, did you really do that? Like, come on, Allie. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Oh, oh, but you have a wonderful story out of it. I it's one of my favorites that anyone ever tells. So I appreciate you sharing it with the world here. Yeah. I, I I think it's I think it's so good. And and you're you are full of stories. I mean, you and I have known each other for about ten years now, and we have uh, you know we've walked out on had take, taken walks in nature, which you know is basically me carrying your golf bag and walking around and watching you play amazing golf and getting to share a lot of stories and a lot of memories and, um, you know, get deep and have some laughs as we go. And so I know you have a lot of stories. So I want to try to get into one or two others. If you're open to telling some more stories. Yeah, man, you bet. You're, you're a great caddy. Just, just feed me, feed me the prop and we'll, we'll go here. <laughs> so I, uh, unbeknownst to you, I reached out to your dad about this podcast because I wanted to get, see if there are any other stories. Cause you sent me some stories out there. And there was apparently a story about when you were younger playing basketball and boxing someone out that was much bigger than you. That, that's what he gave you? I, I don't even know what he's talking about. <laughs> so he said that you boxed out someone much bigger than you from the paint to the far sideline, <laughs> which, which does not surprise me at all, knowing just who you are. And you probably got bonked in the back of the head the play before. You were a little bit pissed. You had this big girl that was just all over you. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to put my ass into you, and I'm going to move you about 20 feet. <laughs> so we had this drill in high school where, like, the coach would throw up the ball, and he would make you, like, box the other person out. So, like, nearly the three-point line. Like, you had to let the ball bounce before you were allowed to go get it. And so we were, like, trained up, like, to box out because we were very short. And, I mean, his philosophy was, like, you know, and we played, I mean, we played against people that went and played basketball, like, at Ohio State and, you know, good places. Like, one of the girls went to Duke. Um, that's not a good place. Just just saying it's a place. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So yeah, I believe that I did that more than once. I was I was a trained, but I I got called, penalties called on me for sure for boxing out. Absolutely, absolutely. Unbelievable, unbelievable. Yeah, they just they I, look. You and I are both vertically challenged. We're not the tallest people in the world, so we got to figure out other ways to bring value, especially <laughs> in, a, in a game in a game like basketball. <laughs> yeah, 
there was a lot of devaluing moments I had in basketball, so I did have to work hard to make up for that. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. Um, all right, one more. You you said you got a story about the play, on the playground growing up. Oh, interesting. I'm surprised you – I sent Clay like six stories to choose from when he asked me about some stories pre-interview. And like the reason being, I love stories so much because my dad – told all sorts of stories of me as a kid and I really thought like man I want to get old and have a bunch of stories but uh the playground one is my parents more tell this one I it was actually it was outside of McDonald's on the McDonald's like back when they used to have playgrounds at least our McDonald's had like this playground right yeah a little play place yeah yeah and so I was like I don't know three or four I probably four and there was this kid that was like foot taller than me and he was guarding the playground he was like apparently he was like yo what's the password and I guess I just looked at him and was like get out of my way (laughs) 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 and he was like I guess he just stepped aside (laughs) but yeah my mom said it was a couple real punky kids and I just wasn't having it you know yeah I used to like that adds up that was pretty close to the age where I used to just growl at people. Like, hard to believe I'm, like, such a lover now. Yeah, when I was, like, three, probably just my threes, I would just just growl at people all the time. When so they this were is nice. where it comes This is where it comes full yeah. circle. Because this is why your spirit animal is a wolf. Because you just <laughs> growled at people. I must have learned it somewhere. So, <laughs> yeah, Unbelievable. It, was, it was pretty funny. Finally oh, that's great. That was good. <laughs> That's great. Well, I I've seen you in many situations. You are a very I said from the beginning you're a very loving person, got a lot of humor, but you're very competitive. Just like me. I, I got plenty of competitive in me too. But we have uh we we've played a lot of flag football together. And oh, yeah. there ha- there have been some incidents where you know, <laughs> hey, again, you and I vertically challenged, maybe not the most athletic people out on the field, but we, you know, we get by with a lot of grit and determination. And we, uh, you know, there, there's been times where the, the other team has said some words to you and you've gotten in their face. And I have greatly appreciated (laughs) seeing that side of Allie White, because in the moment it's like, oh my gosh, is she going to punch him? Like what's going to happen? Because this is, it's not only that you're just talking smack to like a girl who's about your size, like you're talking smack to a dude who's, you know, six, three, twice your size and just getting in his face. And I, it brings me so much joy thinking back to that. <laughs> that was a pretty good one when I put that guy in his place. So I, I was just protecting my quarterback. You know what I mean? <laughs> so good. Oh, it's so good. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing some stories, Allie. Uh, I have no doubt we'll, con- we'll, we'll continue the story train as we get through whatever topics we want to talk about here because you are a a wealth of stories, a wealth of thoughts, and you got a lot of thoughts out there. So I want to make sure that we we get to some things. So I guess before we get into, I want to hear about your golf journey and because I think it's a really unique one and you're continuing on your golf journey. So I would love, you know, to, to hear about that. But first I want to kind of level set on with two questions. So the first one is around your why or your purpose in life. So how would you define what your why is or what your purpose in life is? Yeah, right on. Um, definitely have given this some thought in my life before. My um, my boss at Ohio University, the head coach, she was she was huge on your why for playing golf because she felt she felt like 
you know, if kids get feeling like they don't want to play, like you got to come back to that why. You know, when things get hard, you got to come back to that why. So um, for for life, for me, um, this might sound kind of cheesy, but there's there's a couple components to it, and like a being just do my best, right? Because I I think you're pretty big clay. Like a couple of your, you know, on your build with clay, you've talked about uh, controlling your controllables, right? So I really genuinely feel like there's a lot of things in life that are out of your control. You know, everybody's coming from different places, you know, different challenges. And, like, if you start at that A base of, like, I'm going to do my best. And then the hard part about that is, like, obviously figuring out what your best is, you know? Like, because in order to do it, you got to know. And so I think that's huge for people, you know, decide what that is. And I feel like I had a lot of time in college to ponder that question. You know, what is what does that mean to do my best? And it probably is that work hard, give love, you know, um, comes back to that. And then maybe lastly, on a different tangent, I just feel like there's a lot of great things in life and there's a lot of hard things. And, like, people are going through that. And so I, I like, it's another part of my why is to just be there, try to, as best I can for people as we go through these things. Um, to just be there. Like, obviously, in the movie Les, Les Mis, it's it's bad things, right? But it's like the point of the movie is that they're all in that together, right? So I, I also think it's really important to be there for people's good things, too. So that's kind of it. There you go. I think that's a great purpose or a great why in life. And so to be there for others is a is a big deal for you and, and to control what you can control. I love that. Well, we'll probably tie back into that many times throughout the conversation. And, and I, I've certainly seen you be there for many, myself included, you know, in, in tough times. And I know that you're there for others many times. So you live your why you live your purpose. And I know that gives you a lot of fulfillment in your own life. So I really love that Allie. Another foundational question. So we've got your why or your purpose in life. You know, there's this concept called a growth mindset. So I'd be curious how you would define what a growth mindset is. You know what? A lot of this is um, kind of recently, like not super recently, maybe like four years ago, I read this, this book, Peak. It, it was sort of like, how do people get from being good at things to like great at things, right? Because I felt, you know, kind of stuck in my golf game, honestly, was why I was reading it. I was like, gosh, I'm always averaging like a 73 and a half, you know? Like, how can I get that one and a half strokes better so I can be on the LPGX, right? And um, the book was kind of like, look, you can spend 10,000 hours, but if you're practicing 10,000 hours the wrong way, um, you're you're never going to get there, right? So you need to talk to an expert about what it is to get to that next level. So so figure out who's already done it and, and pick their brain about it. And then when you practice, like, you got to get direct feedback and you need to know, did I do that correctly to get to where I need to get? And I think you can apply that to, to all sorts all sorts of life, like, you know, like not just golf, obviously, but like, you know, relationships and just like find expert advice and then be open to feedback and then make the adjustment. So that's what a growth mindset means to me. You're the second person to bring that book up, Peak. And Oh really? Yeah, that speaks that speaks really highly of that book. And one I haven't I haven't personally read yet, but I really I really like that. And then 
so it seems like you're getting into this concept of deliberate practice, being really deliberate about how you practice and then in how you receive feedback. And then almost most importantly, you got to be open to that feedback and then actually do something, not just hear it, actually implement whatever the feedback right. is, it seems like. Right. And probably the hardest part is making sure you're getting the right feedback, right? Because if, if you go to somebody like, like, you know, when people work with therapists, right? Like you kind of have to somewhat get lucky and find the right one that's going to work, you know? Like probably a lot of people would work. There's still this concept of the right feedback. And I just think you need to keep at it and keep trying until you find a way, until something starts to go your way. So who do you trust to give you that feedback now? Well, uh, talking like this year in particular, uh, golf wise, and it's helped me a lot regular life wise too. Um, yeah, I was feeling really anxious in the middle of the season, just about trying to, you know, finish high enough to get on, on tour, on the LPGA tour. And, uh, I, I talked a little bit with a sports, one of my friends who's a sports psychologist or not a sports psychologist, wrong word, um, performance. <laughs> There's the word for it, performance counselor. Yeah, she gives really great feedback on we 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 talk about a lot of my rounds and just how how things can go better. Um, and yeah, maybe I probably need to do a better job at having somebody that gives me feedback just in life. Honestly, I probably need to 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 ask for that more. Yeah, I think we all could probably do a better job of that. I mean, we you all know, live life, right? We don't all play golf, but we all live life. And right. We don't right. all live actually, it. We don't. We don't all live it in the great, in the best way. Right. And actually, one of my friends, relationship-wise, he does a lot of counseling and marriage counseling and all sorts of counseling. Um, <clears throat> but he's like, he's like, I, I tell people all the time to go ask their partner or their kids or their friends, like, how is this going for you? Like, how is this relationship going for you? Like, am I giving you what you need? I just thought that was really like, yeah, why don't people spend a little more time asking, well, how's this going for you? What do you need? I think that's great advice because they're the people that see you the most. They're the people that experience probably the most genuine you, you would think, right? Around your, you know, your friends, your closest friends, your family. And those are the people you're going to, that if you make a change, that they're going to be able to see the most benefit from that change. So right. yeah, getting that direct feedback as it does seem weird though, doesn't it? To go... Like conceptually, it's like, oh, this this seems weird, but it also seems extremely obvious to go do, but it's something that we almost never do. Yeah, that's why it struck me. I was like, yeah, why don't we ever do that? Because I think you're a lot more receptive to people giving you feedback when you ask, you know, versus when they just feel compelled to come up and tell you like, hey, every morning, you know, you're kind of a jerk when you come get your coffee, <laughs> you know? <laughs> And I'm over it. <laughs> yeah, don't talk to me until you have your coffee because the last person I want to talk to is you without coffee. But yeah, because yeah. if, if, you're, if you're receiving just open feedback that you didn't ask for, you're immediately going to put up a shield. No matter how truthful or helpful that feedback can be, your immediate response as a human being is going to be just put up a shield, get defensive, and it won't be a productive approach at all. Right, right. Like it might eventually sink in. Like you might accept it eventually, and it, and it works out. But like, be behooving to you to just you know come open to it. I think. For sure. Well, hey, there's some life advi advice by Allie White through another person, obviously. But 
yeah. I think that's I think that's great advice uh, to go do. So I'm gonna commit right here that I'm gonna go ask that of a couple people in my life. Yeah, do it. Just see how it goes. It was really interesting when I did it with a couple of my friends. I really like that. Well, very cool. And Ali, thank you for sharing your why, your purpose, and and your thoughts on a growth mindset because I think it teases up really well to whatever conversations we end up getting into today. So we, we've talked about how you're a professional athlete. You make a living through golf. You've had a very interesting golf journey. I'd love to hear about that golf journey. So could you kind of walk us through what your journey's been in that sport? Yeah, absolutely. I grew up here in Ohio, um, three-sport athlete in high school. And, you know, there were two. I would golf at the the local public course and then also at the country club. So I kind of got to see really the two sides of golf. And, yeah, I I was really good in high school. I just won a lot. Like, I didn't lose much. So that was probably, I think, maybe eighth, eighth on the golf week college list for people getting recruited as a junior and so I got to go on a bunch of sweet recruiting trips like uh you know got to go out to Cal and Vanderbilt and just just cool places um and then you know when I walked on Carolina campus I was like this is the most beautiful place ever and they had this gorgeous practice facility and I was like all right it's beautiful it's got a great practice facility let's go and you know I'm an adventurer so I was not really thinking about Ohio, um, even though I do love Ohio State football a lot, and my whole family went to Ohio State. So when I got down to Carolina, I was just going through some things in my life and not handling it very well, and I thought, well, shoot, if I go back to Ohio State, you know, maybe that'll be better. So I played a year of golf at Carolina, and then I played a quarter at Ohio State, and then I transferred back to Carolina, which always kind of blows people's mind. They're like, you're double transferred back, you know? And I'm, I, I don't go into all the details, but I'm like, yeah, it was just, my head was not in a good place freshman year. And um, it took me a while to get the swing of college, but our team ended up winning ACCs one year, which was pretty great. And then uh, actually my freshman year, the Tar Heels finished seventh at NCAAs, which I think is still the best we've done. So hopefully you know, the girls coming will improve upon that and win us the NCAA championship here soon. But then, yeah, right after, right after college, I, uh, you know, I, I worked a summer job and then, you know, I was working the job and I was like, yeah, I got to play golf. So I, at the end of the summer, I went to Q school, which was in the fall and didn't, didn't make it too far. So I ended up, you know, getting into the semester tour eventually the next year. And then, uh, been off and on the semester tour for like, gosh, like nine years or so now, eight years right in there, which being somewhere in between there, I got my master's as a graduate assistant golf coach at Ohio University, which is another one of the most beautiful schools going. So yeah, so after I got the master's a couple years ago, I was like, yeah, I still got it. You know, I'm I'm hitting it farther than ever. Um, And I'm not going to be young forever. It's and I don't really want to travel this much forever um but I want to go right now and I there's still like I still have a lot of wanderlust and I'm a little bit of a journey woman when it comes to being on tour like uh Clay doesn't count the 49 states that I've been to because a couple of those I only drove through yeah you have to have a meal in order to count I gotta do something (laughs) in that state in order for it to count so I don't know how many you've been to but it's not 49 (laughs) and I'm standing by it but the the point of the story (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> is that uh, it's important. It was important to me, a goal 
you know, in in when I started this was to just go a lot of places. So that's that's been accomplished. Um, and yeah, I don't know. You you ask me if there's anything else you want to know about my golf journey. I I can tell you more. You, you got, <laughs> I, I know you got plenty more. So to kind of define a couple things, because I know not everyone out there is familiar with the golf world. So Ali mentioned Q school. So that's qualifying school. So in order to get onto a specific tour, like the LPGA is the top tour in women's golf. The Symmetra tour is the one that Ali has been most frequently on is the tour that is the, that is most directly below the LPGA. And so that's, so Q school, you know, gets you your card, quote unquote, for, you know, these tours and the further you go in qualifying school, the better you do in qualifying school, the more likely you are to, to get your card in the LPGA. How did I do on that? Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Yeah. Three stages of qualifying school just kind of end up where you end up after it all shakes out. There you go. So the further you go, the more, more likely you are to get to, uh, to the status where you want to be. And I know your one of your overall goals is to get your LPGA card. And, you know, so rooting you on here, Allie White. Yeah. Yeah. I've been going really hard at it this year. I, I've only ever stage three is the, is the part of qualifying school where you get your card. Um, and I've only been to stage three one time before, and I'm about to go, I'm flying to Alabama tomorrow to go, to go, uh, to stage three for the second time and, and have a, a look at getting on tour again. So exciting time. Exciting times for sure. And I, I know that you've been working really hard and actually want to get into some of the, you mentioned about four years ago that you, you were like, I'm averaging, you know, 73, 74 every round. And I want to, you know, I just, I'm a little bit frustrated at myself. I want to get better. So it seems like that, that was kind of the, the reason or one of the you know, impetuses of why you started to think about things a little bit differently. And then I know I've seen you personally kind of grow through this journey of golf where, Hey, if I, if I really want to accomplish these major goals, then I may need to change a, a couple of things, right? Be a little bit more open to feedback, like you were saying, and be more directive about, you know, certain things in my life or, you know, so I'd love to hear what were, what was the reason why you started really thinking about this differently, this, this kind of your process differently. And then I'd love to get in what to get into what that process is. Cause I've seen you, right. I've been able to caddy for you and I've seen your process work out. And it's, I mean, you have a very well-defined process that you go through day in and day out. Um, but I'd love to start with like, why did you change your process? And then what does that process look like? I think when I first started uh, playing pro golf, um, my number one priority was was just seeing the world and, and discovering things and meeting people and which I'm totally cool with. Like I, I love that I did it that way. You know, and I was I was that way for a long time. Some people go right out of college and they're like, I'm gonna bust it and, and go go make a lot of money right away. You know, and I was always more of like a, there's a lot of things I wanna see and do and try and maybe instead of going to get a lesson or something, maybe I would go like rafting for a weekend or something like that. And then I think there was a shift after graduate school, just mostly because I'm older now. And I was like, okay, we're just going to tackle this like a regular job, you know, and just focus 
Like there's, I had a lot less FOMO. I wasn't like, oh, I'm at this golf tournament and, you know, I can't be home going on a date or whatever it is. Um, I was just, I've just. Well, because also, just, Allie, you can get a date anywhere. Let's be real. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, this year I've been just really focused on my job, you know, which uh, I don't think it was always a, a big priority for me. You know, I wanted to do well, obviously, but it wasn't like this top priority that that's the only thing in life. And, and I'm okay with that. But now I, I feel good now just being, you know, just being older and knowing like, hey, I got I to gotta make some money at this. And there's also that time clock ticking like, okay, if, if you don't want to do this past the age of 35, you've got this window right now where you got to be good. So, so go be good, you know. And I think, I actually think golf is easier to love the older you get too. It's just, you just keep appreciating different parts of the game that maybe you don't see when you're a kid. You know, what's an example of that? <clears throat> like I never used to look at golf course architecture. I'd just be like, here's a person that I'm playing in high school. And I want to beat her. And I don't care if it's a crap course or whatever. Like it's just a competition to me. And now, you know, I still have that because that's how you have to be as a competitive person. But I go get to go to these places and play these nice golf courses. And I'm like, oh, that's a really neat way that that architect set up that hole. Like, I've never seen that. Yeah, it just mattered to me 0% when I was 23. Well, and I'm sure that that level of appreciation can kind of manifest itself in a lot of different ways, but you can, you probably, almost it helps you probably be more present throughout the round too, as you're starting to think, you, you know, you're really into, into the round, into a specific hole and being present probably helps you with your golf game because you're kind of eliminating any other thoughts about, you know, the, the past, any past holes or any future holes. And you're just like in that moment. Yeah. And, you know, I think maybe the one, another shift is I used to kind of think golf sort of took me away from the people that I loved. Um, but this year I think I put a real emphasis on more of it bringing me to like, I had a lot of different people caddy for me and that's like a very, good bonding experience like it's a lot of quality time together try to share it as much as I can with my family and I I saw it less this year as a force that kept you know pulling me away you know when you're on the road for 30 weeks you're like oh man I've, I've not spent a lot of time at home or whatever but I feel like it's been really high quality time on the road with people I love so so that has kind of rectified that conflict in my mind yeah, because if you even if you go back to your why, you talked about being there, and you want to. I know that being there for your family is one of the most important things that you have in your life. That's like the the group of people you want to be there most for, with you know, along with your friends. And you've been able to have your family and your friends, and being on the road for thirty weeks out of the year, thirty one weeks out of the year. Can you describe what a what a typical week is for you? Because I don't think people understand truly the grind that a professional golfer has week in and week out? Uh, yeah, for sure. And obviously, like, that one of the challenges is just that every week's different, you know? Like, um, so when I had my last little four-week solid stretch, you know, we, we started in, uh, gosh, we started in Alabama, and that was when that hurricane was rolling through. So it just rained for seven days straight, and, and you had to go out there and 
So you drive to Alabama on Monday, you play a practice round on Tuesday, you do Pro-Am on Wednesday, you play, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then you drive to Arkansas and you do it all over again, and then you you drive to Carolina, and you do it again, and then you fly down to Florida, and you do it again, and then you fly home, and you got about five days to rest and recover, and then you fly down to Florida again. And you're staying, and you're staying where when you do this? I I mix it up. Like if I know the pe- people previously, I'll just stay at their place, you know, like a host sort of family. And if these days, I'll let myself stay in a hotel, um, just because. You know, I love I love staying with host families. Um, if it's new people, it's a little more energy, and I don't feel like I I have that recovery time to just kind of turn off. So, meaning like when you, you you've just grinded, you're on your like fifth round of golf in six days, and you're going back, and you're the type of person that wants to be the energy, wants to get to know people, you want to be there for others to get back to your why, and you're just like I just need like two hours to just chill or to stretch or to whatever mentally recover from you know everything going on think about my you know my round the next day go practice whatever but you feel this pull to provide energy for others and get to know those people because you know that they're i mean they're hosting you they're doing you know a service for you and you know you don't want to feel like you're taking advantage of them yeah that's 100 percent nailed it i mean i'm not that person that's going to be able to just shut my door and i think maybe some of that comes from growing up in the country, you know, I grew up on an 80 acre farm and when you come home, yeah, nobody bothers you, right? <laughs> so I felt like I grew up in a city where you had to learn how to be like, hey, you know, be quiet, you know, get out of my way, shut the door, whatever. There's so many people around, you just gotta, you gotta set up some boundaries and walls and, and you know, I got this 80 acre boundary, you know what I mean? And uh, yeah, actually, I live in the country again for the first time in a while and it's, it's helpful because it just does make it easier to rest. And then when I feel like when I go out to meet people, like I have a lot, I can be a lot more intentional about like I'm spending energy on you. But yeah, when you're on the road, it's a little harder. You know, you don't you don't have an 80 acre farm to go take a nap at. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that that's certainly a grind, Ali, to do that. And you're doing this. It's not just you, right? You got you know, 200 other people that are in this, if not more that are doing this similar or same grind every week, working to make a living off, you know, off of golf, off the thing that you, that you love, that you love to do and that you're really good at. And the margin for error is so small in your world. Yeah. Yeah. You know what, Clay, and I'm not even the person that has tough travels, to be honest. Like I, you know, I went down to play a Monday qualifier in Florida the other day, and, and one of the gals was like, she just, you know, she had finished Q school, and then she flew back to Germany, and then two weeks later, she flew back to the States, and, and you know, we're going to play in Alabama, and then she's going to fly to Spain and play there, and it's like, this is, you know, this is COVID, it is, you got to jump through a lot of hoops to be roaming from country to country, um, and like the ladies European tour, I mean, they go from, you know, Italy to Morocco to wherever and they did that this year and it is it is really hard to travel this year I think internationally from what my friends that have done it have told me so like I'm like a a baby traveler in comparison to some some of the pro golfers you know well and not only that but you know there's obviously expenses with traveling and I mean 
especially on the Symmetra Tour, you're not there's not a ton of money out there. Like the that's why the I mean one of the main goals is to get to the LPGA where sponsors are bigger, the purses are bigger. I mean, you hop on an international flight, you're talking you know five hundred to a thousand dollars for a flight, and you know that can be difficult to make if especially if you're not making the cut in a tournament. But even if you do make the cut, like you're talking about you know significant dollars to to do this travel and to be even if you're put up by host family families i mean you got a lot of expenses and you're not pulling in unless you're winning a bunch of tournaments on the symmetra tour you're not pulling in a lot of money and so you know there's got to be that financial uh you know kind of thought process as well as to you know how long can i be doing this without you know support from others right it definitely weighs on my mind um, if I didn't have family support, like it would have never been, you know, I don't, I would not have lasted this long and just a lot of support in general. So that's, yeah, it's, it is, it's, it's, it's a crazy world. It's, it's hard for, unless you're in it, it's, it is kind of hard to understand. Like, oh, you do, you're doing, doing what? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, that's another part of the reason for me, like, I don't feel like I can, at this point in my life, like it just doesn't make sense for me without like a consistent salary to do basic things like, you know, buy a house, start a family, you know, actually one of the players on the LPGA that just won Ryan O'Toole, she was like, I feel, I guess she won. And she's like, I feel like for the first time, like, I feel like I can, you know, start a family now, you know? So even the LPGA tour players, like if you have a bad year on the LPGA, it's worse than having a bad year on the Symmetra tour because, they play way more international than us. And like, yeah, if you only made one cut out there, you didn't, you didn't break 10 grand or whatever. And, and you also spent so much money flying around. So it's just, yeah, your expenses are higher over there. Your expenses are higher. So the the LPGA can be really tough too. Um, But obviously, you know, if you're one of the, it's, it's definitely a, both tours are like, man, the top, you know, 2% 2% or whatever, 10% really, really makes them bank. Even our tour, you know, the top couple people make over $100,000. And, you know, that's pretty good for being a B-level tour, right? But, yeah, it's it's super top-heavy. And even, yeah, most most pros, if you're not making cuts, it's, it's not great. Yeah. It's not great. <laughs> Well, you, you've grinded, just like I said, a lot of, a lot of your peers and I, I'm very proud of how you've gone about this and I love the process change you've had. I mean, I personally, I only get to see you a couple of times a year. It's always a lot of fun when I do, and you've been very kind in offering to allow me to caddy a couple of times, which is really cool to see one of your really good friends in their element, in a competitive environment. We get to take a walk through nature together for a couple of days and talk about who knows what, but get to watch you. You know, I get to carry your bag. I get to share stories with you and and watch you do something that you are really, really good at. But speaking of process change, I remember this year catting for you. And before the first day, I said, hey, you know, how do you want, you know, give anything you want me to know, right? I've caddied for you before, but like anything you want me to know. And before that, like in past tournaments, you would have answered, hey, you know, let's just have some fun. Don't, you know, just try not to make any noise while I'm swinging. Like, I'm just very grateful to have you here, all of this, right? And and because you felt like, I felt, I may, I may be projecting a little bit, but I felt like that you were 
just so thankful that I was there to, to be there for you and to carry your bag and, you know, walk with you. And you felt like it was a big sacrifice where in my mind, I'm like, I want to be here to make sure that Allie can be the best golfer version of herself to, and, and I can take whatever I can off of her plate and, and be there to support her. And to your credit, Allie, I don't know who prompted this change in you, but you told me like three or four very direct things that said, Hey, I want you to do this. I want you to do this. And I want you to do this. And I was so thankful for that because I knew exactly what you needed to perform at your best. And all I had to do was then go execute on that. But I, I, I just, I want to, I want you to know that I recognize that in your process change, even just from a caddy standpoint, that you, you were much more direct about what you needed from, from that person in that moment. And I just, I, Continue to do that, I guess, is my is my uh, advice because it really helped me as your caddy, and I think that. Um, but I could just tell that the process changed for you, and I think that's that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, that was the my my sports counselor earlier this year. We we talked about that doing that with caddies specifically, but also that question from earlier, you know, talking about relationships of just being direct, like, what do you need? And it was it was very helpful when you told me specifically that me being direct with you gave you confidence because that makes total sense to me. Like when somebody tells you specifically what you need to do and how we're going to succeed, like you are a lot more confident about what you're doing and how to succeed as opposed to like, yeah, let's just do whatever out there. <laughs> so it was nice that you said that because that, that word confidence, like that you gave me confidence because I was like, I, I see it now. I see why I need to be specific with people. You know? Yeah, because then I'm not out there guessing. I'm not out there guessing what you want. Right. I know exactly what you want, which then obviously right. leads to confidence and confidence is what you're looking for. Right. And, con- and yeah. But unfortunately, confidence didn't help us find that damn ball that we lost. <laughs> freaking tree <laughs> this ball just disappeared just up and disappeared oh that was brutal oh i hate that golf. anyways that's gonna be golf um that's gonna happen um all right so you've had some i know you've had some really fun tournaments you've had some really fun experiences you've made the u.s open a couple of times so tell us tell us about what that's like i mean going and in, in qualifying for the u.s open and actually experiencing the u.s open which for those that don't know golf, that is like an ultimate tournament that you can you can make as as an as an amateur or professional golfer, and um, and Allie's been able to experience it a couple of times. Yeah, yeah, I think maybe the only one that rivals the Open is is the British Open, the U.S. Open, and the British Open. Yeah, it's uh, it was I was joking with people this year because I had played in 2009. And then obviously I, I played this year in 2021, so like 12 years or whatever. And I'm I was telling people I'm like a cicada, you know. I come out every 12 years. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so that first year that I went to the Open, I was in this like anti-materialistic phase of my life, and so I didn't buy any T-shirts or anything. I was like, ah, you don't need things. You just need memories. And uh, this year, I was like, oh, yeah, I, I, I just bought it all out. I was like, I need a sweatshirt and a T-shirt, and, you know, because <laughs> I always wish that I had the first time. Um, but it, like, from a – it's just such hard – like, the golf course this year was just so difficult, um, which is super fun. I love, I love, like, torturously hard golf. It just – it makes your mind so 
present and super aware. And yeah, I, I played really well this year. I just had a, like nine holes where I just didn't quite have it and I didn't make the cut. And, and when I played 12 years ago, I, I did make the cut and I played really well there too. But I think I played fairly equivalently. Honestly, it's just the level of competition is that much better from where it was 12 years ago. Like, I honestly think maybe if I would have tried to go straight pro out of high school, I think I had a pretty good chance of going on to the LPGA at that time. Um, but women's golf, it's so good right now. And I don't, I don't even know if people realize, like, you know, how good it is. I, my golf coach went and watched a little bit of the Solheim Cup, which is America versus uh, Europe, the women. And, you know, he was like, wow, you know, if, if, if your tour is as deep as these top ladies, then, then it's pretty, it's pretty good. It's like, they're awesome. And I was like, look, those aren't our top ladies. Like our top ladies are pretty much mostly from South Korea. So it's just a, it's such an international game. And, and yeah, the Open's just a magical place to experience 40 different countries and 155 different people battling for what everybody wants the one in 09 you had to qualify to get into the open right you got to in, in some form or fashion and for you uh, in 2009 uh, you didn't have your lpga card you didn't earn through that sort of exemption so you had to go through the qualification process to get there yeah yeah so that was back when they used to have a qualifier for the qualifier so that was the first qualifier and i honestly didn't play that great but it was good enough to get me to the next qualifier, barely. Which you ended up making, yeah. and you ended up going up, uh, what was it, up in Pennsylvania? Was that where you played? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Allie, the caddy, and her brother Mike came up and watched, along with about 20 of my high school friends, which was probably the coolest thing about the Open that year, was just having everybody rolling around, just watching. <laughs> I love it. Because this year out in California, it was just, you know, and they had pretty strict COVID rules, so just not as many people could make it out, which was a big difference. It was a bummer. Yeah, a different vibe, because I know you yeah. feed off of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but there was still a good, they still had a pretty good crowd, even if it wasn't my crowd, even if everybody wasn't rolling around in Ohio farmer hats. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. And then I know, you, so you've, you've been able to play with some very high-ranking professionals, and I know you've played with Laura Davies, right? Yeah. How was yeah. that? And, and, and I guess tee, tee, up, tee up who Laura is, and then I think you got some, some fun experience with her. Yeah, yeah. The the first Open, my, my practice rounds, my one practice round was with Paula Creamer, and I think it was maybe one other person, and then the second practice round was Laura Davies, Suzanne Pedersen, and Sophia Gustafson, who were all like top golfers at that point and Laura Davies is a uh she's older now she's a dame you know she's been what is that the version female version of being knighted over there in England or whatnot yeah yep. anyway she's a big deal she's won a lot and she's she's a solid rock of a woman and she hits the ball forever you know she actually just she'll take her club and just kind of whack the ground and sort of tease it up just off the turf, you know, and then just hits it forever. So she actually, she, uh, we were betting a little bit. We were, it was a, you know, we were doing like a quarter a hole. Yeah, you know, she got to the end and I owed her like $2. And 
<laughs> she looked over at my dad who was caddying for me and she was like, well, is, is the Bank of Valley going to pay? <laughs> just had to insult my, you know, my funds right there. But uh, she's, she's a very good, she's the cool, she's a, the coolest. Man, and you're you're kind of young into your career at that point, and or you were still in college at that point. Yeah, yeah, I was just a sophomore in college. Sophomore in college, playing golf with some of the best golfers in the world, and I'm sure that just had to be just such an unreal experience. And your dad's on the bag. How cool was that? Yeah, it was pretty wild. You know, that's why I was so gun ho about getting back because once you taste it. One time, you're just like, oh, I got to do it again. Yeah, yeah. It, it, that actually leads to a great, a very interesting thing here. We, we, you've mentioned goals a few times. I think goals are so interesting about how people go about setting goals, trying to achieve goals. So h- how do you go about, or maybe, I guess, how do you go about your goal setting process today versus maybe how you have gone about it in the past? I don't know if it's, terribly different you know they pound into your brain in college the difference between outcome goals and process goals um that's how would you differentiate those so like outcome goal is like i want to make it on the lpga that's been the outcome goal this whole year right and in my process goals is more like i'm going to break that down as to how i'm going to do that so so like you know i want to go practice putting for 20 minutes, three, three times a week, or I need to do this drill, you know, for like, versus like you could have little outcome goals, you know, that's even a, a, maybe a better place to start. You're like, okay, I want to make it on an LPJ in order to do that. I got to average 71, you know, and I got to up my driver's swing speed by three miles per hour. So those are all like mini outcome goals. You know, I got to hit more greens in regulation, um, and then the process goals is like, what practice am I going to do to do that? Like how many days of the week am I going to work out? You know, how much am I going to meditate? Like would all be process stuff. So I think that I, maybe I, I, uh, write, write it down more and maybe I stick to it more now that I'm older, but I definitely knew about it all when I was younger. I mean, I was a pretty driven, driven high schooler to, to get to where I was going so I was always, always, always been super goal oriented. Yeah, I actually probably now one of the big differences between me then and me now is is uh, I have to work pretty hard. Like if I focus on the result now, it probably affects me more negatively than it used to then. Just because it just I I get really more anxious if I the more result oriented I get now than I used to. Like, I didn't used to worry that much about failure, and I probably do more now. So it's just been, I've had to work harder at it. Interesting. So failure is a a big word and, like, setbacks. And, like, I've seen, I mean, let's use putting as an example, right? You go up and you hit a five-footer and you miss it. So the outcome is that you missed. And you obviously, your outcome goal of that specific putt was that you wanted it to go in. But your process goal was that, you wanted to put a good stroke on it. Right. So when you put a, if you put the stroke on it that you wanted to put on it and it misses, what is your reaction? I've, I've been pretty great this year with like positive self-talk, you know, just like literally like, okay, good putt. You know, hit that right where you want it. Like I literally say that to myself sometimes out loud, like people probably think I'm a little crazy, but I'm like, yep, good putt. 
Well, uh, and so, and yeah. how do you think that's a, what effect has that had on you? Oh, it, like, yeah, my bounce back factor this year is really good. It's been really good. Bad stuff happens. I just, I just talk it out and then I move on. I, I think it keeps me in the present pretty well. And, and you, you always want to be building up a good memory bank. Like that's the hard thing about playing golf when you get older is you have so many bad memories because it's inevitable you're going to hit bad golf shots. And it's easier to remember all the times that you've done bad stuff. And even though like you've hit, you've done good things. And this is true in life too. I think you've done so many more good things than bad things. It's just those memories where you were a dork, you know, they really stick with you and you have to work really hard to like write down, you know, these are the three awesome shots I hit today and kind of visualize them again and again, because you want your memory when you're stepping up to know that like, Hey, most of the time I do pretty great at this. And and that's where your mind needs to be. I, I think I, I, that's another thing I noticed in you over the last, really that last tournament that we, a couple months ago, I noticed how you were doing some of that self-talk that you were really trying to focus on the positive if you had, if you made a mistake, if you had a, you know, a quote unquote failure during the round on a specific shot or anything on a hole that you would, you know, talk it through whatever it was. And it was usually just a couple of seconds. You wouldn't, you would almost never let anything get to you at least outwardly for more than 20 to 30 seconds. And then you were back into, okay, what, what can I control? So kind of almost back to your growth mindset piece is control what I can control and what can you control? Well, you can't control the putt that you've already hit or the shot that you've already hit, but you can control how you approach the next shot. That's the thing that's in your control. And I think, you know, I saw you do that. And what's interesting is that during some of our rounds, because of the way that you were, it was very noticeable how some, some other golfers were, where if they missed a putt, it was, it was not their fault. It was the, it was the green's fault. Right. Or it was, it was, it was passing blame to someone else, or it was very, it was very outcome focused of, Hey, I missed this. It was either wasn't my fault or, or I'm pissed. And then it just, and it carried with them. And I think that it was a, it was a very stark difference from how you reacted to things to then maybe some others, how they reacted to things. And I I just commend you for, cause that, that takes a lot of mental fortitude and you got to be very, you got to be very consistent with how you do that. And I, I think you did a great job and have continued to do a great job. So whatever you changed, I think has really had a positive impact. And it seems like you feel that way too. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think trying to remember this quote, something like failure is not a state of being. It's like a moment in time. You always have hear people say having a bad day or whatever, you know, like the day's not over yet. You know, like you, you Thank had you. a bad morning, right? Yeah, and you can't and you can't change that, right? You can't change right. well, the things that happened that morning, right. but you can change. You can control what you can control, and so you can control your emotions, how you react to things, and you know, there's there's a concept of setbacks and and how you how you react to setbacks, and so like I'll go back to a putt, right? You stand over. I mean, I stand over three footers and I miss them all the time. You stand over three footers and almost never miss them, but if I stand over a three footer and I miss it. Right, I can react in a couple of different ways. Usually, I just have to accept the fact that I missed it. Like that's the most effective means of reacting to a setback. 
is I just have to accept that I missed that putt. Whatever happened, you know, I missed it. I need to accept it. And it allows you to get back into that present moment so you don't miss the next one. And you right. and you go through whatever your process is. And that can apply across anything in life. Anything in life that happens to you, if you're having a bad day at work, if you drive it in your car and you're, you know, you come across a traffic jam, at some point you just it's a setback, but you kind of have to accept that you're in a you're in a traffic jam. You can get mad about it. You can get up. You can get pissed off about it, or you can look at it and say, "Okay, I'm in a traffic jam. There's nothing I can do now. I've got probably 20 extra minutes in the car. Great. I'm gonna call my friend Allie White, or I'm gonna listen to a podcast, or I'm gonna, you know, meditate a little bit in this traffic jam. Right? Kind of spin it and turn it into something that's productive. Versus, sure, you can just get mad at it, but or frustrated. But what does that do? You know? And I, I yeah. think that this concept applies across more than just golf. And it, it, it definitely takes a little practice, you know, to, to be able to have those sort of healthy responses to things. And you're not always going to be able to get your mind to that state. But, like, it's, you know, trying to is a good first step. And did this yeah. come from your performance coach as well? Um, I mean, yes. I, I mean, a lot of the stuff that, her and I have talked about some of it's been new to me which has been neat but a lot of it's like yeah why did I you know I've heard that before like I know that like why have I not paid attention to that and that is what I mean when I say like it takes practice like you can know that you need to be forgiving to yourself and you can know that you need to live in the present moment but it's not one of those things that just happens in my opinion it's like something that you have to you know intentionally work on right yeah that's a good point it's yeah okay you know that you have to do it but actually putting it into action and consistently almost you're almost building a habit of reacting that way right it doesn't just Absolutely. happen you have to you have to build a habit of reacting a certain way to setbacks and if you're you know the first 30 years of you, your life you've reacted to setbacks in a very different manner it's a lot of undoing of a bad habit and then building up a new habit. And that takes a lot of time. But I mean, how did you do it? Just like through consistency? Um, yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, getting better self-talk this year. I mean, it's, it's probably, uh, it really helps a lot to coach, honestly, and like see how hard young women can be on themselves. Because that was always my big advice as a coach was BYOB, be your own bestie. Because I just saw not just the players on my team, but lots of gals being like, oh, you're so dumb. Like, oh, I can't believe I had that shot. Like, oh, I'm doing so terrible. And I'm like, you know, like I need you to, you know, support you right now and, and forgive you and like get on with it. And, uh, and to see some of the players make that change was really good. And then, you know, if, if I'm going to preach it, to college kids, like, I, I better do it, you know? I better be forgiving and and uh, in the moment. And, um, yeah, definitely, like, I've, you know, been encouraged to meditate this year and do a bit more reflection stuff, so I think that's helped as well. I think that's really good. I think it's really hard these days to find time for yourself, and we're the person that we talk to most. We talk to ourselves more than we talk to anyone else. And giving yourself right. that space through meditation or any other means, I think is is really powerful. It sounds like that 
those girls that you were coaching, so you coached at, at Ohio University, those girls that you were coaching, they were doing a lot of self-talk, but it wasn't encouraging. It wasn't it wasn't with a po- having a positive mindset towards towards the self talk. So a lot of self talk was happening. It was just in a negative light, and and you. It seems like that you actually built up accountability for yourself because you you heard yourself saying multiple times, encouraging others, seeing others, seeing the seeing how the negative self talk impacted them, and then watching them evolve over time. And you built up personal accountability, saying, "Well, I've been preaching this. I've seen the results." I need to really focus on this and that probably that accountability probably helped as well. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just so important. Uh, yeah. I, it made, it did, it made a huge impact seeing, seeing other people struggle with that. And, yeah, and but I, 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 I think, I think maybe the thing that I've come to like just talking to you today, just and reemphasizing in my mind, in my own mind, making my own mental note that it really like that's that it's a continual process of working on it. Like, like, you know how when you read a book and it's got a bunch of great ideas and you're like, Oh, now I read the book. I've got all these great ideas and I'm just going to have those now forever. You know, that's just not the way it works. Like you have to check in with yourself on these things periodically. And like, even like when you and I talk about your why, you know, I think like it's, like you could set a why when you're 25, but you should probably check in on it, you know, when you're 31 and see like, am I doing it? Do I have the same why? Do I need to tweak it? Just like, you know, it's a continual process. Yeah. Life is, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to continue to learn. And, and I think you're right. Checking in. I mean, if you asked me about my why five years ago, it would be different than it is today. No doubt about it. And, and yeah, rechecking in and not only, not only checking in to see if your why has changed, but also see, are you actually living that why? Are you actually doing something towards it? Or are you just saying that that's what your why is? Because if, yeah, if those things aren't exactly. aligned, then there's probably, there's probably a lack of joy or fulfillment that you're providing for yourself or for others around you. If, if you're not matched up to your why, I mean, your why is, is around being there for others and you get to do that. I, I love your mindset shift because you've been able to do that now through golf. So you've been able to accomplish, you know, work towards accomplishing your golf goals, but also be there for and with others. And I think that that's a really, a really, really cool thing that you've kind of unearthed throughout your new process. Yeah. And you know what? I, I guess this, this just popped into my brain as far as like things that have been helpful this year. I've always had really great support but I think I leaned into it more this year than ever. I think How that's so? been huge. Uh, just like getting the equipment that I needed, like getting the lessons I needed, getting this coaching that I needed, and just, you know, being open and vulnerable with friends about things. And just uh, that made a huge difference. You've made a lot of investments in yourself, it seems like. Yeah, and it's just I, I maybe somebody can get there by themselves, but I'm not that person. You know, it's it's I've needed a lot of help to be where I am. I've seen it personally from you that you've asked for more help. You've been open and honest. You've always been a very open person, open to talking about whatever, and I love that about you. But I think that's so great that you've made some investments in yourself. I mean, even little stuff, I mean, or relatively little stuff, like you used to drive everywhere. You used to drive all these places because it was cheaper to drive. I mean, you got a very fuel efficient car and 
cheaper to drive, but you knew that it was going to wear and tear on your body. And so you picked some spots this season where you said, you know what, I'm going to pay to fly because it's going to be better on me. It's going to be better on my body. And my body is what is allowing me to be the best I can be at golf. And so, you know, there's the, the concept of incremental gains, you know, being a, like 1% better in multiple aspects of your life or, you know, of a specific profession. If you can be 1% better in, in multiple areas, those, those incremental gains become very powerful and you end up being, you know, 10 to 20% better over the course of time because you're just trying to be 1% better. And you were trying to make your body, you know, one or 2% better because you didn't drive. And those little things, they add up and can hopefully, you know, help you accomplish your goal long-term. Yeah. What, in terms of like, you know, achieving a goal, the incremental gains is, is pretty great. You and I are a fan of that big time. Big, big fans of that. And I, I've talked about how we've, we, we, when we caddy, when I caddy for Allie, that we get into a lot of discussions because we're out on the golf course for five hours for four rounds. I mean, that's 20 hours of just being in nature, no technology around you, no distractions. And very, I mean, very few of those minutes are actually hitting a golf shot. It's a lot of walking around, standing around, and that doesn't even count the driving around, you know, going from, you know, having meals together. So we can get into, we got into a lot of things and two things that I want to ask about, because I learned about these things about you. One is you're super in, I, I knew you were always into poetry, but I, I don't think I knew the depth as to which like how <laughs> poems and poetry really influence you or impact you. So what I'm curious where that, where that love of poetry came from. That's yeah. For those of you who don't know this, I I made Clay read my, twelve of my favorite poems after after he caddied for me, and I was like, "What? You haven't read these poems? You got to." <laughs> and, and not only did I get the poems from you, I got Ali White commentary after each poem, <laughs> which which honestly I don't know what is better is the actual poem or the commentary, but I love it both. Love them both. Yeah. Well, my my. I guess the men in my life, like my grandfather, my dad, and my grandfather and my dad were English majors. Um, and my my brother is very lyrical. He writes a lot of music and stuff. Um, so I don't know if it was just in there or if the environment was right for it. And my mom, my mom, like she she loves music too. It does, you know. She, she was a kindergarten teacher, and she brought a lot of just learning how to read. So. <laughs> well, and side note about your mom, me, right? she, yeah. She, yeah. And side side note about your mom, she is a little thing, but she will kick anyone's butt in pickleball. Anyone, <laughs> I don't care who you are, she's gonna whoop your tail. So just be careful if like a five foot six woman, about I don't know, sixty five years old, comes up and wants to challenge you, and her last name is White. Look out, because she's coming for you. <laughs> she's gonna love that you cited her at five six. It's like more like five two, but uh. She's gonna absolutely love that you remembered her that way because she's always maybe maybe it's just, maybe it's just like the I don't know she just was like intimidating I, I was like standing across from her and just like I, I guess I just inflated her in that way but whatever <laughs> five two five six I mean she's a she's an absolute badass of a woman oh and man it is tra- it is translated to you as well because you got a lot of that fire and uh, you got a little more height on her too I think that helps yeah but that look that teacher look that she can give like she could. 
look at a kid across a room and they drop whatever they were holding and she didn't you know, say anything. So that's where it comes from. It's, it's penetrating, to, you know, it's good. It's a good skill though. It's important. But, uh, yeah, poetry, it just hits me like the, not all poems. Some of them I'm like, I don't see where you're going with that. But, uh, some particular poems, they just, you know, I could, you know, read one and tear up. For the listeners out there, if you were to, if you could only recommend one or two poems, what would be the ones they should check out? Oh goodness, that's so that's so hard. That's that's it just depends on what they need, you know. Just do they are they grieving? Are they in a challenge? Um, I mean, the first one I recommended to you was a noiseless patient spider, which I've recommended that one to more than just you on various times of life it's just it's just about perseverance so we'll just stick with that one for now i mean i'm a huge robert frost fan that's 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 probably good for now all right a noiseless patient spider we'll uh yeah i really enjoyed that one that's a that's a really that's a really really good one all right so the other ones that we that we got into is I, maybe I'm the only one that didn't know what this was, but you started talking about cuffing season coming up and being so excited <laughs> about cuffing season. And I look at you, I mean, I'm a, whatever, 33 year old dad. I don't, you know, I don't know the latest music, the latest trends, whatever. I'm like cuffing season. What do you, I'm, I'm, I'm envisioning Allie grew up on a farm. Is this have to do with, you know, cows or goats or something like what is happening? And then you, you go on to explain that, Cuff, about what cuffing season is so i love your explanation of cuffing season <laughs> well your wife knew you know? I know exactly that's why i'm starting to question i mean do, am i the only person that doesn't know maybe everyone that's listening is going to say well obviously that's what cuffing season is <laughs> well yeah for those of us that um are typically traveling during the warmer months or just like to be more free in the summer i think then the winter comes and you're like oh it's getting cold and i better pair up you know, because I'm going to need somebody to weather the snow, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so cuffing season is all about finding a- another person that you can cuddle up with, you know, snuggle up with in the cold, cold months and just be there with one another. Yeah. And then I think traditionally, like you just cut them loose when it gets warm again. That's what I was gonna ask. So you you just like peace out on one another. It's like, all right, hey, shake 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 hands. Hey, great cuffing season. I'll see you next year. I think that's that's traditionally how it goes. You know, I'm starting to get to the age where like, you know, maybe I need to wrangle one in during cuffing season and keep them. But uh, yeah, that's traditionally. I think you just roll in your your man or your woman or whatever it is you're looking for in the winter months. Interesting. And so it's cuffing season now. So I'm, I'm sure you're, you're mid cuff. I, I wish you the best of luck <laughs> it, during, during that season. And if you happen to, you know, Hey, Allie's a great one out there. So if you happen to be looking for someone, Allie's a great candidate up in Ohio. Um, but, but on a serious note, I mean, you, you have been traveling, like you said, about 30 weeks a year for the last decade with golf. And that has to be really hard. I mean, we talked about friendships and family, but on the relationship side, that's got to be kind of difficult as to how to, how do, how do you go about like figuring out that? Cause you're, you're so, you're such an amazing person and you, I know how much you care for others, but I mean, wanting to have that relationship aspect, but it's gotta be really hard traveling that much. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I had 
gone on a date with a lady not that long ago and just then I decided, oh yeah, I got this two weeks for this qualifier in December. And then I was like, and you know what? I want to go play in the ladies European tour qualifier in Spain too. So I'm going to be gone from November 29th to December 21st. Are you cool with that? (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, uh, yeah, what's the point of dating you if you're not going to be here, you know? Um, but I think I actually, for the first time, I think I actually believed that like, yeah, I think there is somebody that could put up with all my traveling out there. Like, I actually think that person exists. So I don't know if I believed that when I was in my 20s. I was like, yep, you're going to, at some point, you're just going to have to stop golfing in order for somebody to love you. Um, but I, I, I know that whenever I'm done golfing, like, I'm still going to travel a good bit because it's just who I am. Like, when I was a kid, I just wanted to grow up and be an adventurer, so it's just part of me. So somebody's going to have to love that, and they're going to have to be able to travel a little bit, too, I would think. And, yeah, the first step is probably believing that it's out there. So at least I'm there now, and uh, it is. It's hard. It's hard to, like, build a relationship, but I think, you know, you just got to do your best and see what happens. Yeah, that's... Fascinating because, uh, I mean, even in my job, like I, before COVID, I was traveling a decent amount, but I, you know, basically at that time already had a wife and, you know, so it was, it was a little bit different of a dynamic, but I can, I can imagine how difficult, and I've seen it with some of my colleagues, how difficult it can be to, to have that when you have so much uncertainty and so much of your, your life on the road to, to find that person, like you said, that's out there that can appreciate that or want to go along for the ride with you or just be okay with, Hey, I know I'm going to miss, I'm not going to see you for a couple of weeks. And then we get, you know, a couple of weeks together or, or whatever. So I commend you for, for that mindset shift. Cause I have no doubt. I mean, there's what 7.7 billion people in the world. And I have no doubt that at least one of them is going to be all up, be all about that life with you. It's just a matter of finding right. That. And I don't think, I don't necessarily think I've found that person that's super into sports enough quite yet. (laughs) Like, as far as the people that I've dated, like, I have a lot of man friends that are like, oh my gosh, pro golf, that's so cool. (laughs) Like, I'll come (laughs) with you, I'll follow you. Um, But yeah, it's a little bit harder to sell with the ladies, I think. Um, So I think I just need to find... And maybe I'm wrong. I keep an open mind to non-sports people because I love a lot of things that aren't sports too. And that's kind of a nice balance sometimes when you have somebody that's not super sporty. But I think if I did have somebody that like appreciated golf, like it would be easier for them to understand. They'd be like, oh, wow, you're like a, you're, you're a top level golfer. Like you have to go do this. You know, there's only one U.S. Open. Like you have to go. So I think somebody will get that. Oh, I'm, I'm certain they will, but I could totally see how someone would be like, who works, you know, traditionally works a nine to five and they're thinking you play golf, like you just play for a living and you're just going to leave and you're going to be gone on all the weekends. And you're saying you want to travel internationally and you're doing all this yoga and like, don't you just like, you just walk around and swing a club. Like, why are you doing all this, all this work, you know? And I can totally see someone having that mindset, even if you lo- like really like them as a person and enjoy their company. If that dynamic is not there or they don't understand or, or seek to understand, 
what truly that life is like for you, that would be a difficult thing long term. Yeah, it's just a, it is a weird lifestyle, you know, uh, it, it really is. And like, I don't know, like, I think Lorena Ochoa, I, I don't know if she retired at number one, but she was number one in the world for 157 weeks, which is like almost 50 weeks longer than any other player. And she retired at age 28. Um, basically because I think women, it's just a difference with men. You know, I just think if they're going to have a family, like like it's it's it, there's haven't been a whole whole lot of women that have done the family on tour for super long. Like like Julie Inkster is a great example of a woman that was an amazing pro golfer that had her family out there on tour and she played until she was you know 55 years old. You know, but um. But it seems both, like that's the exception. It kind of seems like that's the exception to a degree. Like I. It seems like they'll they'll do their first few years out there and then a lot of times stop at some point or not play as much and whatnot. So it's just different for men because, like, men peak at age 35 and it seems like they always win their first tournament when they have a, a baby to hug. It's like, oh, he's having a baby. He's definitely going to win a golf tournament now, you know? Um, <laughs> so, yeah, and, I mean, Ocho retired at, like, what, 35 so that she could do her family. So it is it – is, maybe somewhat more of a difficulty with female athletes just the family my, dynamic, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. And not, I mean, we you don't even mention the, the impact that it has on a woman's body. I mean, a man's not right. having any impact right on, on their right. body and you're relying on your body to be in peak condition to be able to excel in your profession. And right. that has to be such an interesting dynamic. I mean, I know you have friends who, are on the tour or seeking to get on the tour who have, have had babies or going to have babies. And, you know, their, their road back is, you know, way different. Uh, it's not even comparable to a man. Yeah. And it, it like that time that I have to, to meditate and foam roll, like off the course, you know, they have, they have half that time to do that, you know, cause yeah, my two, two friends that have kids, it's just, you know, so yeah, they, love their kids and they love golf and you know obviously they love their kids the most so it's just tough i mean i have nothing but respect for my my buddies that are able to do that i don't give lorena ochoa any bit of a hard time for like making that decision to, to go a different direction like and i don't give julie inkster a hard time either like i think they just did what they did you know and both our ways are pretty admirable. Absolutely. I think it's all about finding your priority. I mean, your priorities shift over time. You talked about checking in with yourself a lot. And if you're consistently checking in with yourself, you should get to know yourself pretty well. And whether you're doing that through meditation or seeking feedback from your friends or your family or others in your life and finding out truly what is important in your life. What do you, what do you value the most? Do you value you know, time with your kids? Do you value that time on the golf course? Do you value, you know, spending time with your parents, Wh whatever it is, like figuring out what those priorities are, it, whatever they end up being, whatever you, whatever you truly believe that they are, that's fantastic. Go after it. And, you know, if people are going to judge either way, you know, that's, that's on them. You just kind of have to accept that people are going to make their own decisions and have their own thoughts about things. But, 
yeah, respect either way. If, if your priorities shift and you say, hey, I have this human in the world now, and this is truly like I want to spend every waking moment with them and golf doesn't matter to me anymore, right? Or nearly as much as it did before. Right. Wonderful, right? Go be the best mom you can be. Or, hey, if you want to try and have both, but know you have to make sacrifices on each, go for it. That's awesome. Like at least like know yourself, I think is, is the, is the best thing and then go after it, whatever it is. And then recheck in to Allie White's point earlier, like go check in on yourself consistently to make sure it's truly what you want, not just what you think society feels like that, that you need to be. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't have said it better myself. There's a lot of societal pressures out there. I think for everybody. So there are, there are. And I mean, you, you grew up in such an interesting environment. I mean, you're up in Ohio in a rural area. You're a woman golfer. So you're, you know, playing sports very highly competitively, but you're in a, you know, environment where probably like, you know, Ohio state male sports, right. I mean, you grew up in the, you know, like me in the, in the nineties and two thousands when women's sports were not looked at. I mean, they're still unfortunately not looked at equally as man's, but as, as a male sport, but it's getting better. It's trending in the right direction. But when you grow up, that had to be just so interesting to be in that environment. And, and I'm sure you had many looks and comments and other things about just like what you were doing and how you were spending your days. Yeah. You know what? It's interesting because uh, I'm thinking back to it and I just sports wise, as far as play in sports, I've had just had so many supportive men like that were just all about it you know which maybe goes back to the point that it's easier to be a little tomboy than it, it probably is to be like a, a gay man growing up right trying to dance or whatever like those guys really take a lot of crap right but um but like i don't know our society loves sports so much and it's like you know once they get over the fact that like a girl beat them or whatever like, they're like, that's awesome. You're amazing. You know, <laughs> like, so, uh, yeah, the, the guys at the golf course were just all like, even now I go play in the skins game every now and then with a bunch of, you know, 60 year old white dudes and they're just all about me playing. And, um, yeah, like, I mean, who else? Like just, I've, I've got to play boys tennis in high school because it was at the same time during golf season. So those guys are always super cool. And you had to have some satisfying wins. (laughs) Yeah. I played number two because the number one guy was just slightly better. And, uh, yeah, I think maybe senior year, I didn't, I didn't lose the regular season match. So I had a lot of satisfaction. (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh. Did you you go? I I really hope you did. I doubt you did, but I really hope you did this because you've done this to me on a golf course is I hope that after you beat a guy in tennis that you are a boy, I guess, you know, 16, 17 year old that you walked up to him and you said, you play tennis pretty well for a boy. <laughs> you know, after you beat me at pickleball the last time, I don't feel like I'm allowed to talk for a while, you know? <laughs> I, I still, I still don't know if that was a good move. We played pickleball one-on-one <laughs> the day before her final round of a tournament and, you know, late in the season and I beat, it was a great match, but I beat you in the end. I think it was like 11-9 or something. No, we were 12-10. Like we go into extras, 12, didn't we? Because, yeah, yeah we yeah, kept yeah, we went extras. 
when extras, her mom and dad are there watching and like, I'm, you know, I end up coming out on top barely. And I'm like, should I have done that? Should I have let Allie win? Cause, cause I don't know if she's going to want to talk to me. I mean, you couldn't even ride in the car with me afterwards. You yeah. had to go get a ride from someone else. You needed a moment. I went, I went down the downward spiral for about an hour, but then I was okay. <laughs> <laughs> See, like, I think that's where I kind of skirted my, my caddy responsibilities by not just letting you in. But then I was like, you know what? I've known Allie for so long. There's no way that she would want me to give up anything. Like, she she wants to beat whoever she's playing at their best. She doesn't want to be given anything. Absolutely. It was a great, I thought it was a great match. And it actually it was a great match. ultimately inspired me to, like, oh, maybe I should practice pickleball every now, given I haven't played since then. But... You know, I so it sounds like it didn't really impact you that much. <laughs> <laughs> no, I am committed to practicing a little bit before we play next, and uh, That's right. being a little fitter for the next match. So beware, you know, play. Well, well for those out th- for those out there, pickleball is an amazing sport. It's basically right in between tennis and ping pong. It's a beautiful sport. It's amazing. Like I said, Allie White's mom is is incredible. I mean, plays in the senior Olympics and everything. I mean, she crushes us she was out there just she could have been out there with a blindfold on and beat us <laughs> age bracket wise she's pretty much as good as they get yeah yeah she's she's really really good well Allie, this has been awesome i am so thankful that you've opened opened your time and your heart and everything opened it up here and been very open about everything i mean you're i, I love your why around being there for others. I think that's wonderful. I love your the way that you think about a growth mindset and being open to feedback and being open from feedback for the right from the right people and just explaining your golf process and and how you've gone about your day-to-day and how you've adapted as you, you know, go make a living playing golf. I think it's I'm very proud of you. I'm very co- proud to call you a friend. You're an, you're an awesome person and I just thank you so much for sharing a little bit of you today. I just, I know you're in the midst of trying to go get that LPGA card. So, um, huge, uh, huge hug to you and, you know, go do your process. You got a great process and I have no doubt that you'll, you'll, uh, achieve the great outcome that you want. Hey, Clay, thank you so much. This has been lovely. I'm hugging, hugging you back. You're awesome people. So we've been building with Allie White. Allie, thanks again for, for being here really appreciate it you're an amazing human being and uh we'll find you on the lpga tour here soon hey listener it's clay thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the build with clay podcast i encourage you to subscribe wherever you listen so you can discover all the episodes and hear from others about their growth journey If you know me at all, you know that I love feedback. So please rate the episode and provide your comments so I can grow and be better for you and our guests. For more content, you can find Build With Clay on Instagram at buildwithclay and head to claydavis.substack.com where you can sign up for a bi-weekly newsletter sent directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're inspired to grow.